This morning, I invite you to take a copy of God's Word. Look with us to the book of Luke, chapter 2. book of Luke, chapter 2, as we'll begin reading with verse 8. It is good to be back with you last week. I had the opportunity to be in Alabama doing a wedding uh, for Eileen's nephew, outside wedding. It was cold, not like today, here, but it was still cold, about 42. Out, outdoor wedding, this has never happened to me before. While I'm doing the wedding, turkeys walk up. Now, I've had turkeys at weddings, uh, but never had turkeys walk up. And while I'm doing the wedding, they... they (laughs) And then the flower girl looked at me, and she said, during the service, will you hurry up? I'm cold. (laughs) It's all about you. (laughs) Boogaloo chapter 2, beginning with verse 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Pray with me. Our Father, help us today as we remember and reflect the meaning of Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Canadian inventor... Reginald Fessenden shocked sailors across the Atlantic on Christmas Eve in 1906 when for the very first time they heard a voice coming from their wireless machines. In the past, they only heard Morse code. But according to Fessenden, uh, Fessenden, he figured a way to send sounds wirelessly and, and on that Christmas Eve, they heard a message. The message was he read the Bible, Luke chapter 2, and then he took his violin and he played O Holy Night. This carol became the first song ever to be played over wireless transmission. Now imagine that on Christmas Eve, out in the dark, like magic, you're hearing the words from the Bible and hearing this music played. Of all the Christmas carols, O Holy Night may be the most interesting carol we have at so many different levels. It started in a small French town, uh, French village in 1843. A local parish priest wanted to have a special song for their their newly renovated organ to commemorate it. He also wanted to do it on Christmas, and so he decided he would have something written. And so he went to a local poet, Uh, and asked him if he would write this poem, Placey Capot. And he wrote this based on Luke chapter 2. And then they took this poem and they took it to a composer, Adafi Adam. He was very famous, very famous composer. He had written many operas and he put it to music. And that became Old Holy Night and became very popular in France. Ten years later, This tune reached the ears of American John Sullivan Dwight. 
And he loved it so much that in 1855, he decided to translate it into English. And the resulting translation is what we have today, O Holy Night. Now, he did change some of the words so that we could understand it in America. For example, the original words, people kneel down, await your deliverance, Christmas, Christmas, here is the Redeemer. And he wrote, O Night Divine, the night when Christ was born. He changed some of the words so that we would understand it better in English. But basically, the song is a very powerful song. And he couldn't get over this song as he was writing it and listening to it. Did you notice the words, the first stanza, describing the world and the mess we're in? I mean, the first stanza, it says the world is in sin and error of pining. The word pining means wasting away. What he's saying is the human spirit is wasting away because of sin. We are grieving. We are enduring pain in the world. He paints this world of of darkness without light, a world of despair without hope. And that's what the world is without Christ. The world without Christ is hopeless and in darkness. The Bible tells us that all through the word of God, especially the book of Genesis, chapter 3, when sin entered into the world and something took place. In fact, the Hebrew word iniquity means to twist. That's what sin does. It takes something right and twists it. We twist the word of God. We twist the law of God. Sin entered the world. It took what is good and twist the nature. And so that's why we have, you know, tornadoes and tsunamis and earthquakes and viruses and things of that nature. Because sin entered into the world. That's what this song is about. And then comes the next stanza. He says, till he appears and the soul felt its worth. The world is wasting away because of sin but something happened. Those words, till he appeared. Jesus came, changed everything. Now we have an answer to the sin. Now we have an answer to the darkness. What he's talking about is Jesus coming. And because Jesus came here, now our soul has worth. And we understand we're more than physical, we are spiritual. And then he writes the words, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoicing. Weary world. What an image. A sinful world always leads to a weary world. That's what sin does. Sin tears down, sin destroys, and wears us down. That's why we are in a weary world. Don't we identify with that? Don't you identify with that phrase this morning, a weary world? This weary world, we are are stressed out, we are tired, and we're lonely. We're in a weary world. We are stressed out. Right now, stress is all-time high. That's not your imagination, by the way. The American Institute of Stress, who, who analyzes annually the stress factors of the world, said in their survey 2022, 87% of Americans are stressed out due to, due to the rising inflation. That's up from 59% last year. They said 69% of Americans fear World War III. 65% of Americans find that they are stressed about money and the economy. The American Psychological Association said this year, three quarters, 76% of Americans said that the future of the world is significantly less. They are scared for their children. They are scared for their children because they do not think the world is going to get better. It's going to get worse. How bad is it? They concluded this. Because of the stress, quote, we are facing a national mental health crisis that could yield serious health and social consequences for years to come. We are stressed and we're tired. 
More and more people are admitting they are tired, suffering fatigue. We come home from work and we have no energy to do anything. Or we go to work and we can't, not, we can't focus because we're too tired. Ironically, people are doing more, sleeping less, exercising less, and it's taking its toll. And we're lonely. Amazingly, with all the various social platforms out there, with internet friends and followers, we are now more lonely than any time in history. We desire friends. We desire someone to talk with, someone to care about us, someone to put their arm around us, but we don't seem to have that. Something is missing. We're lonely. 2021, American Perspective Survey said that Americans have fewer, closer friends than ever before. They claim they, won't, they talk less, they express less to their friends for emotional support because they have none, no friends. Why? There are different reasons. Some say it's because we're working long hours. We're working too hard. That's why we're tired and we're socially isolated. Some studies said that parents are spending so much time with their children, they don't have time for adult friends. Some say it's because of our technology. Our technology leads to loneliness. The more time you spend online, the less time you spend with real people. Whatever the case, we're lonely. And here we are in this world, we are still stressed out, tired, and lonely. And that's a weary world. And when you live in a weary world, you lose hope. When you live in a weary world, you lose hope. And this song addresses that because the Bible addresses that. Jesus appeared. Jesus came to give us hope. Jesus came to take away this weary world. He came to remove sin from the world. He came to remove our stress. He came to give us purpose. He came came to bring us to him. So this morning, I want to look at this, this song as we look at Luke chapter 2, as we understand what's taking place. First, Christmas is a hope in a person. Christmas is hope in a person. The story of Christmas is really, that's all, is all about hope. Again, from the song, he, he writes, A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, O hear the angel voices. O night divine, O night when Christ was born. O night, O holy night, O night divine. Where did he get that? He got that from the story we just read. When the angels came to the shepherds and said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid for we are bringing you great news, good news. News of great joy, which will be for all the people. Jesus came to give us hope. That's the story of Christmas. Remember Paul, the missionary on the screen was talking about Paul. You know, Paul tried to destroy hope. He tried to destroy hope by killing hope. But he couldn't kill hope. And then one day he met the person of hope. He met Jesus, and Jesus turned his life around, and then Paul had hope. And you read the letters that Paul writes, he talks about hope a lot. For example, in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, he said, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that the power of the Holy Spirit may abound in hope. Christmas is about hope because Christ is about hope. And did you notice that the angel said he was bringing great joy? You go back and look at the Christmas story. Isn't it amazing? That everyone had joy. Everyone who heard the Messiah was coming had joy. Even back the wise men, they saw the star, they rejoice. When the angels came and to the shepherds or to Mary or Elizabeth, whoever it was, they always rejoiced. Why? Because they saw hope. And with hope came joy. You see, if you have hope, no matter what's going on in your world, you can have joy. 
Many of you know David Jeremiah by his writings, by his sermons. In 1994, in the midst of a growing ministry, he was diagnosed with cancer. Discovered he had lymphoma near his spleen. They did surgery, they did chemotherapy, the cancer went into remission. But in 1998, it came back with a vengeance. And so they just did something back then, it was kind of new, stem cell transplant, where they take stem cells out of his body, then bombard his body with chemo and radiation, and then re-inject the body with the stem cells, hoping the cancer would not return. David Jeremiah writes in a book entitled Bend in the Road. He talks about his battle with cancer. And he speaks candidly of this battle with pain and nausea and also his deep depression. The title of the book is from an observation that he made, that sooner or later, all of us are going to come to the bend in the road. He said, there's going to come something in your life you didn't see coming. You didn't ask for. You, you can't postpone. It's just going to happen. It's the bend in the road. He said, you can, you can plan your life. You can have everything lined up. And you can be going in the right direction. And then all of a sudden, there's a bend in the road. The question is, how are you going to handle the bend in the road? Where is God in the bend in the road? And, and Jeremiah says, God is still there. Jeremiah says, the principle is very simple. When we come to the bend in the road, we must remember that nothing is wasted with God. Even the bends of life have a divine purpose God can use. And in the bend, we always have hope because of Christ. We have hope because of Jesus. David Jeremiah continues. He says, the only road that leads to the destination God desires for us will always have sharp bends and all attempt all attempted shortcuts leads us to the wilderness. How could he write these words? How can you write these words with cancer? Well, he could because he has hope in Christ. That's the Christmas story. You know why a lot of people don't have hope? They look at their life in a rearview mirror, and all they see is their past. Everything about them is about their past, their habits, their hurts, their hang-ups. Their past has defined them. Jesus came so that we'll not look in the rearview mirror at our past. He came so that we could look to our future, to the, our windshield, to look to that future that we're headed. Stop looking in the rearview mirror of life and look at the windshield of life moving forward to what God wants you to do. Secondly, Christmas is peace in a person. Christmas is peace in a person. In verse 14, New American Standard says it this way. I actually like the King James better. It says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Because of Christ, because of Christmas, in a weary world, we can have peace. Now, a lot of people misquote even the King James Version. You see, a lot of people will say about Christmas that, that it's about peace and goodwill to men, but that's not what it says. There's an order to it. Many people will miss it. Here's what the King James Version says. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. There's an order to that. You have to start with glory to God. You start with God. From God, you get peace, and with peace, now you have goodwill toward men. See, the world wants to take peace and goodwill to men and say, that's all, that's all it is. No, no. It's about having God first. When you have God in your life, you have peace. And when you have peace, now you have goodwill to men. You can have uh, connections with people. You cannot have peace without God. 
You cannot have peace without God at all. You need to have peace with God first in order to have peace with God with you and then to have peace with God in you, you can have peace with others. And that's what he's saying. With Christ, there is peace. And that's the story. I mean, you look at the Bible, how many people didn't have peace before God and they found God, they had peace. Think of Jacob in the Old Testament. Jacob was a trickster. Jacob was a con man. You go back, I mean, that's all he did. He should have been on Ocean 11 and 12 and 13. I mean, he just conned everyone. And he thought he was getting away with it until one night he met God and he thought he joined the MMA because now he's wrestling God. And he cannot understand he's wrestling God and finally he said, bless me. And God changed his life and he found peace. Saul of Tarsus, we just mentioned. He was who's who of intellectual abilities, credentials, had no peace. He found God, he had peace. The order is always the same. You find God, you find peace. You find peace, you find connections with others. That's why Paul could write in the book of Romans chapter 5, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, something interesting about this song, O Holy Night. During the Franco-Persian War, something happened in, in 1870. December 24th, 1870, there was a lull in the battle. And the French soldiers started singing, O Holy Night. The other side heard that. They started singing hymns by Martin Luther. For 24 hours, the battle stopped as they were singing hymns, glorifying God. Now, some people say that is a legend, but if you go back in history, something happened in 1870. This song became very popular again in France. But this song brought Christ back to the front, even in a battlefield, and they found peace. Christmas is about peace. Third, Christmas is love and power. Christmas is love and power. Did you notice the third stanza? This one it says, truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother and his name all oppression shall cease. Remember how I said that Dwight loved this song when he heard it? It was those words that changed him. Those thoughts motivated him. You see, Dwight was living in the United States in 1855, and he was an abolitionist. Five years before the Civil War, he wanted to end slavery. He heard this song and thought, this is the song that could end slavery. If only churches would sing this song, if churches would sing this song and observe Christ's birth on Christmas Day as they were looking at that manger, and they realized the love that we should have for others, then we would stand up and be against slavery and racism. That was his intent. He wrote this song, changed some of the words, not the meaning, so that churches would sing this song to break the chains of slavery for others. Now, the original words, yes, was talking about breaking the chains of, uh, of our sin, but Dwight said, no, it's more than that. He said, I want all churches to sing this to remember the great commandment that we're to love one another and we're to destroy this institution of slavery. And the song invites people to worship, to fall on your knees, or hear the angels sing. He said, we get, these, get on our knees. If we're getting on our knees to worship God, when we get off our knees, surely we'll follow what God wants us to do. 
This is because of love. And Christmas is about love. I mean, why did Jesus die on the cross? He died because of love. Why did Jesus come? He came because of love. You see, without love, there is no Christmas story. It's impossible. And there is power in love. Gordon McDonald tells the story of meeting a Nigerian woman who was a doctor at a major teaching hospital in the United States. He introduced himself, and, and he said, what is your African name? And she gave it to him several syllables long. And he said, what does it mean? And she said, it means the child who takes the anger away. And Gordon McDonald says, well, now you got to tell me. What's the story? She said, my parents had been forbidden to marry by their parents. But they loved each other so much, they went ahead and defied the parents and married anyway. They were ostracized from the family. They would have nothing to do with them. Then my mother became pregnant with me, and when the grandparents held me in their arms for the first time, the walls of hostility came down, and I became the one who swept the anger away. And that's the name my mother and father gave to me. Because of love, Jesus came to take away the Father's wrath of sin. Apart from love, Christmas makes no sense. And we live in a weary world. But Christmas, we can have hope and peace and love. Remember I said this, this story is unique at various levels. Let me tell you one more trivia about this, this song. The priest who went to the local poet. The local poet was a wine merchant in town. He was known for his poetry. But he was also known as an atheist. And he asked the atheist, would you write this song based on Luke 2? He read the words, imagined what it would have been like, and wrote the song. The composer... He was Jewish, very famous opera writer, and he wrote the music. This song was written by an atheist and a man of the Jewish faith. Both of them do not believe the story and never gave their life to Christ. Do you know what that means? This is scary to me. It is possible you can know the story. It is possible you can tell the story. And it's possible you'll miss it completely. This Christmas morning, you can know the story of Jesus. You can know the story of Christmas. You can tell it to others. But the question is, do you have Jesus in your heart? Have you accepted Jesus in your life? I mean, you can have knowledge, but that knowledge will not help you in this weary world. That knowledge will not give you hope. That knowledge will not give you peace. That knowledge will not give you power. That knowledge won't even give you supernatural love. That knowledge will not relieve you of your stress. Only a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you haven't invited Jesus into your life, will you do that this morning? By simply admitting that you're a sinner, saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. This sin has affected me. Everything I, seen, everything I touch, I just twist. And I can't save myself. And be by believing, believing that Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years for your sins. That he died and was buried and on the third day he arose. 
Believing not only with your mind, but believing in your heart that he died for you. And see, confess. Confess everything to him, saying, God, I give you everything in my life. Jesus died for me. I give you everything. Will you come to my life? Will you do that this morning? If you're watching online, if you would just text the word today, 270-398-5005, and a minister will call you today about your decision. But if you're here this morning, as we begin singing, just come to the front, talk to me or one of the ministers. Maybe you want to join this church, join this fellowship, maybe rededicate your life. Whatever decision you need to make, will you make it this morning? Because what better day to make the decision than Christmas morning? Will you stand as we pray? Our Father, we thank you for Christmas and the meaning of it. And Father, if there's anyone here today who's never embraced Christ in their life, let today be the day. No more hesitation. Father, no more excuses. Let them hear your voice. Let them respond. In Jesus' name, amen.